0: Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Mike Orlock. Mike, you're a writer, a poet, among many, many different things. But the reason that I wanted to bring you on today is because you write film reviews for The Pulse and you've been, you've been keying up everybody to watch the Oscars coming up next week. So I wanted you to come on and chat with me about all of the nominees. Well, it would be my pleasure. So, I am going to play the role of the layman who has not seen any of these because I haven't seen any of these, but I've read through your articles. We ran an article of yours either last week or the week before in The Pulse that was kind of breaking the nominees in half. And then the part two of that will be coming out this Friday so people can read your thoughts on them. But I wanted to do kind of a a dive into each one as we go through and talk about what people should see and, and what the hopefuls are as we approach the awards.
1: Sure. Would you like to do that? from the ones that have generated lots of box office and ultimately earned some you know, nominations and uh, recognitions along those ways or do you want to do it alphabetically? We can do it anywhere you want.
0: Let's do it alphabetically, and we can kind of pop around between the different ones. What I think is interesting is that there's a, a really good mix of different types of movies, from dramas to comedies to your blockbuster action movies, more you know, independent kind of stuff. There's a good mix of the, the 10 different nominees for Best Picture this year.
1: Yeah, there sure is. You begin with All Quiet on the Western Front which is a German import and has been nominated for nine Academy Awards, which is an astounding number for a foreign film, for Hollywood to recognize a foreign film with that many nominations is really unusual. It is a remake of a film that won the Academy Award back in 1930, I believe it was, All Quiet on the Western Front, but this is the German version of it and it's the, an adaptation of a classic novel that I'm sure some people you know, were kind of forced to read when they were in high school by uh, Jean-Marie Remarque, and uh, he's telling a war story in as brutal and naturalistic a way as possible. And this film doesn't spare any expense as far as its production values. It's a great-looking film, and it's nominated in a lot of technical categories where it could walk away even against some of its stiffer competition thinking specifically of like everything everywhere all at once or top gun maverick or avatar the way of water which are also kind of technical masterpieces if you want to think of it that way
0: That was what I saw from the trailer. I mean, it it has all of the trappings of your big blockbuster war film, but I I would say my impression from the trailer was not sort of your like gung-ho traditional American war film. It feels very somber and and almost as if it has more of an anti-war message by showing the horrors of war. Did did that ring true?
1: Yes. It's very much an anti-war movie. And uh, the young hero of this story is a boy who's underage and lies to be enlisted because he's been seduced by the, all this talk of glory and the adventure of going to the front to fight. And he soon is disabused of all of those notions. And the film is 143 minutes and it's somber, dark, bloody, sometimes gruesome. It's a long slog, but it's never less than compelling. And uh If you're really interested in seeing it, it didn't really play in theaters up here in Sturgeon Bay or anything like that. But you can find it on Netflix. And uh, it's one of those that if you are a subscriber to Netflix, you can, you know, queue it up and watch it at your leisure between now and, and March 12th when the awards are gonna be shown.
0: I'm glad that you brought that up, because I do wanna point out for each one of these movies whether or not they're streaming. I think that that is such a great convenience nowadays to be able to be like, oh, instead of going out and seeing all of these movies in the theaters when they happen, or renting the DVDs or something like that. A number of these are actually streaming or have been streaming. Um, even yes, some for that a just while. yeah, even some that just came out more recently have hit the streaming right away. So you should yeah. be able to watch a really good number of these before the awards actually take place.
1: And there are some theaters that are going to be playing all of the uh, nominees, you know, in, in special performances. Marcus, I think, had one of those going on this past weekend in green bay and uh they might have another one coming up this weekend because there are so many of them right i think they might have done what i did and they broke them down five at a time (laughs) and you know are are presenting them so that they're not completely inundating their theaters with uh, movies that may or may not have a popular appeal at this point in time
0: so next up on my list is avatar 2. I've seen the first Avatar and I've always had kind of a a weird relationship with Avatar because I never really liked it when it came out. But on a rewatch recently, I feel like it appealed to me a lot more. I don't know what has changed, but maybe it's just the fact that the film holds up so well, even, you know, so many years after its original release, but... My big question for you is, you know, in terms of a sequel to the first Avatar, how does it kind of line up against that? But more importantly, as kind of like the next step in turning Avatar into a giant multi-movie franchise, what did you think about the sequel?
1: I thought the sequel did a pretty good job of continuing the story and the major characters and conflicts from the first movie and also presenting a a visionary world That James Cameron is so good at producing. You know, his passion seems to be or has been since the first Avatar kind of solidified his position as techno genius in Hollywood. He's been fascinated with the ocean. And one of the first things he did following Avatar was to build himself a little submarine so that he could go dive in the Mariana Trench. And he's become fascinated with aquatic life and, and what's happening underneath the waters. And this film dives into that literally and figuratively, you know, with both feet. It is a visual splendor in 3D, especially where uh, he does 3D so well. You sometimes it's kind of gimmicky, and uh, you get tired wearing the, the little colored glasses that they give you. But uh, 3D in Avatar and also this sequel is outstanding. I think the, the reception of the film in Hollywood, they, they named it as a Best Picture nominee. I don't think it's going to win. It's up for three other awards in the technical categories, and it has a, a genuine shot there. But, uh, you know, it's grossed, I think at this point in time, almost $2.5 billion. There's another sequel that's going to be coming out. Uh, there are at least two more following that. Disney, which now owns the rights to Avatar because of 20th Century Fox you know, purchasing that studio, they're going to put together a, an Avatar world in one of their theme parks. So Avatar is not going to go away. And uh, Cameron, in a recent interview, kind of noted that. He said it could well be that after he finishes these five Avatar movies, he might never make another movie again, because he says, hey, I'm I'm getting up there in age. Physically, it's kind of a struggle to do some of these things. It might end up going like the Star Wars franchise did, where George Lucas took it so far, and then other people have carried on beyond that. So I think that... uh, you know, it's going to keep on making money. It's, uh, I think, it's worthwhile film to go see. But if you're going to bet on it to win the Academy Award for Best Picture, you're probably throwing
0: your money away. Sure. And then, well, and just in your opinion, does this movie give you hope that the Avatar movies moving forward will be like worthwhile stories to consume? Or is it just gonna be this one's Avatar in the Water, this one's Avatar with Fire Avatars, this one's Avatar Underground? Like does it feel like it's it's breaking the mold, so to say, and setting up a an interesting and nuanced franchise, or do you think it's yeah, gonna be I'm,
1: that I'm not sure. You know, I was I was surprised pleasantly surprised by the way he took the story into the oceans of this planet that he created, Pandora. I'm sure that there's probably mountainous regions on that planet and maybe desert regions. And and it might be that as you're working your way around the planet, you're going to get uh, sequels that are immersed in one environment or another. His passion seems to be, as a filmmaker, to show you things that you've never seen before. And so I think that I'll trust him, you know, until such time as he delivers something that I think is a waste of time, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that, you know, Avatar could be that franchise that tells a full story and ultimately brings us back to the forests where the story began in the first movie.
0: Right. Next up, it looks like we have the Banshees of Now this one, like uh, one of the director's other, movies has a hard-to-pronounce title for nice. me.
1: Anna Sheeran? Yeah, yeah, Anna Sheeran.
0: I, I have not seen this, but I have seen In Bruges, which is another movie similar in both its casting and the and the director to this. And right. I would say of the trailers that I saw, many of them got me excited. This one got me the most intrigued. It has a trailer that is, it, it kind of sets up what I, I would think would be the central focus of the plot, but it's... Also kind of a a weird mystery in a lot of ways. What were your takeaways?
1: I really enjoyed this movie. And, you know, it's showing on HBO Max. So, again, if you're a subscriber to HBO or, you know, streaming services, you'll be able to find it there. It's also, I should point out, along with All Quiet on the Western Front, they're on the home video market as well, so you could rent them on Blu-ray, you know, watch them at home if you have a Blu-ray player or a DVD. I think they're also on that. The only f- film I, we should have pointed out, Avatar, is still in theaters. Right. So it has not come to any streaming service yet, but when it does, it's probably going to come to Disney. Right. Banshees, I really thought was an interesting little story told in an interesting way. Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson play these two close friends who live on this small little island off the coast of Ireland. It's close enough to land that you can hear the sounds of the Irish Revolution taking place. That Those sounds sometimes drift across the water, and suddenly there's a rift that develops between these two friends that cancels out their friendship and sends all sorts of repercussions through the community and we meet a number of the people in that community and each one of them is vividly portrayed there are a number of people that are up for academy awards for acting in this film colin farrell for best actor brendan gleason and uh, Barry Keough for Best Supporting Actor, and Carrie Condon for Best Supporting Actress. So it's one of those films that I think has a a serious chance to walk away with uh, the Academy Award for Best Picture. And McDonough, the director, has a a track record, not only with In Bruges, but more recently with Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which was a big Academy Award favorite a few years back that won Frances McDormand her second of three Academy Awards for Best Actress. So, yeah, it's it's got uh, award potential here.
0: It seems like the fun of his movies are seeing where they go and and maybe how far they go. So without giving anything away, is this going to be similar to, say, in Bruges in just terms of it just heightening the level of absurdity as it goes through? Or is this more of a, a toned-down story?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that it does you know veer off a little bit and it gets progressively stranger as you're watching it with the length that these two guys go to sort of one-up each other as they seek to either rekindle their friendship or to completely divorce themselves from the others. And uh, it has lots of strange little rhythms at work here. And some of the, like I say, some of the supporting characters are so colorful that they, they could have been, you know, the centerpiece of a, of a film by themselves so it's a loaded little community here on this island and uh the way that life is portrayed in there and some of the things that happen are surprising keeps you guessing it's always a little bit unexpected i thought it was a great movie
0: yeah it's definitely one that looks the most intriguing to me so high up on my list of ones to check out what do you have next Elvis
1: is a biopic directed by Baz Luhrmann. If you've ever seen one of his movies before, you know that he doesn't do normal, as I said in my article. He likes to go way over the top. And uh, one of his big hits of years past was uh, a film called Romeo Plus Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio as Romeo and it was a different type of take of Shakespeare, Yep, much different than anything you might have seen from Franco Zeffirelli or some of the other versions that were out there.
0: Yep, that's it was a, more of
1: a rock and roll version of, right. of uh, Romeo and Juliet. He did the same sort of thing with Moulin Rouge with Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman, another very strange, bright, colorful, wild, imaginative adaptation of the life of Toulouse-Lautrec. And, you know, the French scene of the Bella Polk of that particular era, it was a bizarre little movie. Very popular, though, at the theaters and also with the Academy. So this one is the life story of Elvis Presley, told as he sees it through the the eyes of Colonel Tom Parker, played interestingly by Tom Hanks. And uh, he put on a fat suit and he talks with a outrageous accent. And he kind of narrates, as he calls it, the discovery of Elvis Presley, his creation, his discovery. Now, I guess you could argue that maybe he's being a little bit uh, egotistical with that. But the, the film kind of follows in that vein, showing their relationship as artist and manager and then breaking off into some of the weird aspects of Elvis's personality that we all got to see vividly displayed later in his life and Colonel Parker also going off the rails a little bit in his life. So I don't know that I learned anything about Elvis that I didn't know before, but the film was really kind of an easy film to watch. (laughs) Lots of color, lots of sound, lots of fury. Uh, Great performance by Austin Butler, a newcomer, who um, does a great job of giving you uh, an Elvis impersonation that, is worthy of Hollywood and uh, Las Vegas as well.
0: You know, of these kind of major musician biopics that have come out in the last couple of years, I really appreciated Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic, because it was not afraid to dip into the surreal and to really like heighten these performances by just kind of going off the walls into absurdity almost. And then you have like the weird Al Yankovic biopic, which takes that in a narrative way too and completely exaggerates that story. I'm curious, you know, with, with the pedigree of Moulin Rouge behind this film is this one that is, you know, does it dabble in that surrealism or does it keep itself more grounded?
1: Well, it's kind of like more towards the Moulin Rouge type of presentation where it does get into some of those outrageous things that Malurman is noted for. It's not as straightforward a musical biopic, say, as Bohemian Rhapsody, which won Malick, his Academy Award for Best Actor, sure. doing Freddie Mercury. It's more of the, uh, I guess it's closer to Rocket Man, where it, it has different rhythms and it rides those rhythms, kind of giving you an impression of who Elvis Presley was and why he was so successful rather than a strict dramatization.
0: Great. Mike, let's take a break. And then when we come back, we've got six more movies to walk through. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwannee Counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the women and children's center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. Okay, we are back. Next up is the one that I am the most excited about. It's the one that I've heard the most about, and it's the one whose trailer got me the most excited. This is everything, everywhere, all at once.
1: Yeah, this is by far the biggest surprise of the award season. It's dominated the different award shows leading up to the Oscars, so it would have to be considered, say, the prohibitive favorite at this point in time to walk away with best picture, maybe even best actress. Certainly it's going to probably win best supporting actor since it has the actor who played short round back in the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom movie. Yeah. The little boy that was always shouting, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. And you know, people have loved that character. They love this guy doing this this role that he is given as the husband of Michelle Yao. And everything, everywhere, all at once. Although maybe he's not really the husband. Who knows? The movie is a real trip.
0: Yeah, that's what I took away from it as well. And it's serendipitous that this movie comes out now dealing with the multiverse and different universes and stuff. When it seems like every major franchise is also doing their own take on multiversal stories right now with the Marvel movies and DC movies all doing this. Uh, It seems like Mm -hmm. the perfect time for a movie to come out and play with these tropes as well. And from what I saw from the trailer, it is doing this in a myriad of different ways, visually playing with genre, all sorts of really cool stuff.
1: Well, it also gets into some serious themes of how uh, of women and the roles that they've been forced to play. Michelle Yao, especially being an Asian woman who's living with a father who has very strict definitions of what her behavior should be, and she is thrust into the role of the heroine who is going to save the world, maybe even the universe, from ultimate destruction. I've been asked by people What is this movie about? And I usually, if I'm going to type it as anything, I'd say it's like a slapstick version of The Matrix, done with high style and a lot of comedy.
0: Yeah, I mean, my takeaway from just seeing the trailer, too, was there's martial arts in this movie. There's like the aspect ratio changed between shots in the trailer. There's... Shots that almost look like they are behind the scenes on a film set. Like, it looks like it really plays with everything. It goes all over the
1: place. Yeah, Yeah.
0: everything that you can play with. I know that the, the Russo brothers produced this movie, correct?
1: I think you're right, yes. Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan, those are the two men who both wrote and directed, and they are actually up for writing original screenplay as well as directing the movie. It is going to be interesting to see how it plays out because it's up for uh, 11 Academy Awards. It's up for several acting awards in those. You've got Michelle Yao earning her first nomination for Best Actress. Kihi Kwan is up for Best Supporting Actor, and I think he's going to win. You have Jamie Lee Curtis up for... Best Supporting Actress, and Stephanie Sue up for Best Supporting Actress. And she is terrific. They're all terrific. And I could see them winning multiple awards in the acting and also multiple awards in the technicals. So this could be the film that walks away with eight or nine statues at the end of the night. But it could also be overshadowed in some of those other technical categories and, you know, wind up with five or six. But I think it's probably going to win Best Picture. It is on Showtime. You probably get it on demand. It's also available on Blu-ray, and uh, it is one of those movies that you kind of have to watch to really experience. Right. It's not your dad's kind of movie, though. Sure. You know, like my dad, if if he had seen this, he'd probably say, "What is that about? It's so chaotic." and so Quicksilver in everything that it's doing. And I'm sure that people who prefer more established, slow cinema are going to be driven nuts by it. But young people especially have have really tuned into it.
0: So what do we have up next?
1: Next, we're talking about The Fablements.
0: This is uh, Spielberg's movie, right?
1: That's supposedly his most autobiographical film in his long and illustrious career, telling the story supposedly of how he became smitten by cinema and decided to dedicate his life to making movies so it's a a family story it's probably the most loosely plotted film he's ever made you know we remember him mostly as being the guy who made Jurassic Park or E.T., the extraterrestrial, or Jaws. So there's always like a a central story that he's telling. This one, the story, it takes back seat to the characters and the actors who are playing those characters. So he gets some of the better performances that he's ever directed in a movie. It's one of those films that I think also has a a serious shot at winning Best Picture. If there are enough older people especially within the academy membership that figure you know it's time to to give steven spielberg his due again because uh you know the last time i think one of his films won best picture was back with schindler's list and that would have been 1993. so you know that's 30 years ago and it might be sort of a valedictory award for him at this point too he's up for best director as well and also interestingly up for his first Academy Award for screenwriting. He wrote this screenplay with Tony Kushner, who did the uh, screenplay for West Side Story. And it was an idea that they kind of cultivated while they were making that movie.
0: You know, I'm curious, Spielberg, of course, one of the biggest directors of our lifetimes, but how does his, you know, directorial style, how does this movie compare to things that are just absolutely busting down the walls of our preconceptions like everything, everywhere, all at once, or, or even Elvis with its more, you know, surrealist cinematography. Mm-hmm. How, how is he comparing, you know, in his later works?
1: Well, this is kind of a straightforward family chronicle. And he gets a great performance by a relative of un- unknown, Gabriel Lebel, in The Lead, playing the young Spielberg. He gets a, a good performance, a surprisingly good performance, from Seth Rogen, who huh. plays a character that is his father's best friend and might be his mother's lover. Michelle Williams is terrific as the mother. Paul Dano is terrific as the father. The family dynamics are handled much like you would imagine in a Spielberg movie, if you go back to like E.T., the extraterrestrial, you know, there's a lot of attention and detail paid to what the family life was like and, and the rhythms of arguments and celebrations that occur within that family. So it's, it's a story that he seems pretty confident in telling. It doesn't have, like I say, a, a heavy plot but the family relationships are interesting enough that when you walk out of the theater, you feel like, you know, him somewhat better now. And I think that was the purpose of the movie.
0: Gotcha. In terms of trailers, this next movie, and I don't know if it's pronounced Tar or Tear. Tar. But uh, in terms of trailers, this one did the least for me. So I'm really curious to hear what your takeaway from it was. Just in terms of story and, and if this was compelling to you.
1: I had my doubts going in, but I actually did enjoy it. It's uh, Todd Fields, a filmmaker who hasn't worked in about 20 years. He um, made a movie back in early 2000s called Little Children, which was a fascinating drama with Kate Winslet in one of her best performances. He has real serious artistic sensibilities. So of the films that are up, this might be the artiest in all that that implies. It's about a world-renowned, world-famous orchestra conductor played by Kate Blanchett the actress who I think probably is the favorite going into the show on March 12th. She's won a number of awards for her performance in this. And she plays a sort of a dictatorial maestro orchestra conductor whose personal life is on the rocks. She uh, is quite self-destructive in some of the things that she's doing, either because she doubts her own abilities secretly or She's so used to getting her own way that she pushes things as far as she can. And there's a real interesting little moment where we meet her early in the film. And I don't think I've given anything away here. But she's in somebody's office and she steals an item, you know, just right there in the open, picks it up, puts it in her pocket. Nobody says anything. And it's kind of like she's used to this, I guess, getting whatever she wants when she wants it. But she keeps pushing and pushing until such time as she is really, (laughs) at the end, we see her in a completely different way. So it's a longer movie. I don't know if if you're into that kind of arty New York style cinema, you'll probably like it. But if you are looking for a film with a clear storyline and lots of unusual rhythms like either Elvis or... Even uh, the Fablemans, you're probably going to be saying, oh, what was that all about? I, I didn't really like it.
0: Or if you're just, you know, a big fan of Kate Blanchett, because this seems to be, of the movies the one with the strongest focus on its lead role. Am I, am I oh, correct? yes, definitely.
1: Yes. Blanchett is probably going to win her third Academy Award here, uh, which will put her in some elite company. She dominates the movie. No one even comes close. Right. And, you know, it's all about her. I never doubted for a second that she wasn't conducting orchestras. <laughs> she's very convincing in the role. She's not necessarily likable as a character. So there's that distance that you see there from the director and the, his actress. And their perception of this character is such that she, she might leave you a little bit cold. Interesting. But she's never less than fascinating.
0: So next up it looks like we have probably our most stock standard blockbuster action movie in Top Gun. And <laughs> yes. I mean it it basically looks like you're kind of standard older actor soft rebooting their old franchise by taking the role of the like the mentor in ways that, you know, Rocky has done and some other movies have brought their their 80s lead back in to kind of create this like the, the franchise for the next generation, basically. Is that, is that what you took away from Top Gun? You
1: no, know, Top Gun Maverick is supposedly the movie that saved Hollywood. That's at least how it likes to build itself right now.
0: That's what I've been seeing, too.
1: Yeah. He had this movie ready to go back at the time when the COVID uh, pandemic shut theaters down. And the studio said, well, let's release it on streaming. You know, we'll put it on Paramount Plus or we'll do this, that or another thing with it to get it out there. And he said, nope, it needs to be seen on a big screen. And so he just held it until such time as the moment seemed right to release it. And in fact, I think had he had his druthers, he would have maybe even held off a little later than he did. film came out sometime around Memorial Day of this past year. And uh, at that time, you know, there were still a few little blips going with the COVID pandemic. And so people were still a bit reluctant to line up and go back. Right. If he could have, he probably would have pushed it to like the July 4th holiday or something like that. But it came out, it's grossed about $2 billion. It was the top grossing film of the year for a long time and then was subsequently passed by Avatar, Way of Water. It's technically a impressive film to look at. If you liked Top Gun, you'll love this movie because... It is Top Gun again. <laughs> Top Gun again is what they could have called it, but it's Top Gun Maverick. Right. He plays the teacher now. The the Tom Skerritt role from the original has kind of been put in his hands. We get a, a kind of a touching reprise by Val Kilmer, who played Iceman in the original. And now he's a admiral in this film who's kind of the guardian angel for Pete Mitchell, Maverick, the Tom Cruise character. Making sure that he still is given an opportunity or a chance to you know, do what he loves to do because he's a maverick and he's always in trouble with his superiors, most notably in this film, John Hamm, who plays his commanding officer at the top gun school and, and
0: keeps looking for an excuse to wash him out. You know, I feel like of the recent Tom Cruise movies, I probably was more excited about Mission Impossible. And a lot of that came from Henry Cavill being in that movie. Mm-hmm. Never really, you know, watched Top Gun all that much, but I think if you're if you're a fan, this is a, a no brainer. If you've never seen a Top Gun movie, is this the one to watch?
1: Oh well, sure. I mean uh, you could it's probably indistinguishable from one to the other. You don't necessarily have to have seen the first one to enjoy this one. He does get some some good young performers to play against him in this movie. Miles Teller plays the son of his old co-pilot, Goose, in the original movie, and he's kind of resentful in ways that I suppose you could understand. The plot motivations, the characterizations, none of that is going to be too surprising. Most of it's going to be predictable, but it's there's something comforting about that. I think, you know, that, Hey, it's going to deliver the goods. It's going to deliver exactly what you would expect. A Tom Cruise Top Gun movie to do there's not going to be any wild surprises here it's not like it's been directed by Baz Luhrmann so that you're going to get uh, strange things taking place this is strictly by the books filmmaking but done exceptionally well yeah
0: this is the this is the one to enjoy with popcorn
1: right yes you won't have to think too much about it while you're watching it and you won't have to think too much about it after it's over but you will enjoy it while you're watching it you know it's loud it's exciting it has tom cruise being tom cruise you know it, it does it have any semblance in reality no but who cares you know it's tom cruise <laughs>
0: right Okay, we have two more to go through. Uh, first up yep. is Triangle of Sadness, which, from my perspective, was rich and beautiful people getting into trouble.
1: Exactly. In fact, last year, there was a whole little subcategory or subgenre in, in entertainment where rich people really took it on the chin. Yep. In HBO, there was White Lotus, which skewered them. The movie The Menu, which pretty much serves them up <laughs> as the main course during that really dark comedy which i very much enjoyed right
0: and those are the two that i heard the most about how does this one stack up
1: actually i would have given it to the menu i would have nominated the menu rather than triangle of sadness triangle of sadness is a a swedish director making his english movie debut so it's kind of a strange little hybrid it's told in three parts in three parts don't necessarily seamlessly flow one into the other we get a, it opens with a young couple and she is a supermodel in Milan, I believe it is. And the guy is a wannabe model who wants to date her and be her boyfriend. And we get to see them vainglorious about themselves in every social situation you could imagine, you know, being rich and famous and beautiful. And then it goes into a cruise and they end up on this cruise with all sorts of other wealthy people some of them despicable some of them nice and they're all captained by woody harrelson who's drunk most of the time
0: winks no less than three times in the trailer
1: (laughs) you're right (laughs) and uh he you know commands this ship into situation that through his own ignorance or carelessness or whatever you want to call it they enter in this huge storm the ship gets scuttled they end up on this island and it's it's kind of that's the third part and you get each of these little parts is almost like a mini movie in itself just involving the same characters and the characters sometimes then take on different roles and different personalities depending on the situation that they find themselves in there's some big laughs in there there's this captain's dinner that I, I won't get into too much detail, but it's the, probably the centerpiece of the film, the way that it resolves itself or the things that happen in it. But overall, I thought that the film was long, overly long, and not quite as focused as, say, The Menu, or even uh, you know, going to a limited series like White Locust, as interesting as that from one episode to the other. Uh, though it's certainly in that vein, trying to be in that vein, probably why it got made. Certain uh, satires in this day and age can be savage and funny and cutting. This one wants to be, sometimes it is, but sometimes it just kind of goes off the rails.
0: Sure. Maybe maybe not the first pick of the three of this kind of new uh, rich bashing genre to watch, but hey, if you're a big Woody Harrelson fan, then... Maybe check it out.
1: Yeah, you might want to check it out just because of Woody Harrelson being in it. Although he's, you know, his role is exclusively in the middle section. Yeah, but he gives you he gives good Woody, (laughs) and you know, it's a broad performance. There's not a lot of subtlety in it. If you like him on Saturday Night Live, you're you're getting that kind of Woody Harrelson in this movie.
0: So the last one, Women Talking. This is the one that I'm I'm most curious about, but my Choice on whether to watch it or not kind of hinges on what the movie actually is. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear your takeaways from it. Probably of these, the most dramatic may be outside of All Quiet on the Western Front, but definitely more a seemingly a personal story of drama for this one.
1: This one is inspired by a true story of a Mennonite community down in Bolivia where the men of that community routinely drugged, beat and raped women in the community with impunity until nine or 10 of them were subsequently arrested because they, they'd gone apparently too far over the line. There was, you know, elements of incest and other things that were going on in that community. And the women, while the men are in town trying to arrange the bail for the the ones who have been arrested, meet together in a barn to discuss what they want to do. And the elders of that community, the men, tell the women that, well, you're going to have to forgive us if you want to gain the kingdom of heaven. So the women have that as one of their options. They can stay and forgive and let bygones be bygones and things go back to the way that they were and whatever that would mean. Or they can stay and fight, as some of them want to do, get even with the men, or they can leave. And so the the movie is about these women talking, and uh, we learn some of the circumstances behind each of their cases and the positions that they take relative to what they think the community of women and, and children should do. And we find out information about what's going on. There's really only one male character in the drama, and he's a teacher who was an outcast for a while and has returned to the fold here. And he is given the task of writing down the minutes of this meeting going on with the women because none of the women know how to write. None of them know how to read. They've all been kept uh, away from any means of written expression or knowledge of the world around them. So he does that for them. He's the only one, the only man, I guess, that they trust because he is an outsider like they are you know he's been brought in to teach boys because he was banned from the community for a while and went and got a teaching degree and so he comes back and he's given the task of educating these boys but the boys of this community uh, have learned by watching their elders that women are there to be taken when you want them and uh, abused if if that's what you want to do with them Beat them if necessary. So it's pretty raw drama. Yeah. It doesn't get into the, the actual things that are taking place. We see the after effect. So Sarah Polly, the director, is not going to be, she's not exploitational at all in presenting this material. And it was produced, the film was produced by Frances McDormand, who has a small role as one of the elder women in this community so you know that it wasn't going to go in ways that you fear it could have gone if it were in the hands of a male director who wasn't quite as sensitive to the issues that were being discussed in this film
0: i'm curious how the story is presented is it is it a very dialogue heavy story
1: yeah it's very stagey it's based on a novel or adapted from a novel by sarah polly who is up for an Academy Award for her adaptation, but it uh, is, almost seems like it's a play. The setting is this claustrophobic barn. Occasionally we, we get outside of that, but most of the action takes place inside that barn, and the women that uh, are speaking out generally are, are focuses on three of them, played by Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, and Jessie Buckley. They are the three driving forces of three different positions and points of view. And the other women kind of fall in line behind them as, as they talk out what their action should be in trying to save themselves and trying to save their families and, and trying to save what, what their sense of community is. So it's got some big issues, big themes it's dealing with. It's kind of an arty film. You know, it's up for just two Academy Awards, including the best picture. not. I don't think it has a snowball's chance of winning the top award. Not like CODA did last year. It's just not, it doesn't have that same feel as CODA did of, of being a, heartwarming, uplifting story. This one is more grim and deterministic in the things that happen and in the outcomes that we watch. You can get it on Amazon streaming right now. It's not probably going to play in theaters up here in Sturgeon Bay or, you know, at the drive-in. Sure. It's not that type of movie. But it is worth seeing. It's just a uh, you've got to be in for that type of movie going in. Right. So it's not Top Gun Maverick, certainly.
0: Sure, sure. You know.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, there we have it. There's all 10 movies up for best picture. Now that we've gone through them all, what's your top pick? Which one do you think has the best shot?
1: Well, I think that everything, everywhere, all at once is probably got the best shot to win. I think if I were voting, I would vote for Banshees. If I had a vote, Interesting. I don't. Yeah. That would have been my pick from the 10 that are up. I think that if there's going to be an upset or a surprise, It'd be Banshees perhaps winning or the Fablemans.
0: I think that Banshees and Everything Everywhere were the two trailers that I saw that were the most interesting. Everything Everywhere definitely the most exciting, the one that made me want to watch it the most. Uh, Mm -hmm. But Banshees is the one that gave me the most questions of like what is this movie? I feel like I need to see it just to experience the questions that are leveled in the trailer. Yeah. So cool that that those are are your two top picks as well, because those are probably the two that I'm definitely going to watch this weekend. Well, good. And good viewing to you. (laughs) Thank you very much, Mike. Is there anything else that we should talk about? I know you have a poetry reading coming up next week as well, right?
1: Yeah, Wednesday night at the UU, their featured poet. I'm in the Last month of my of being poet laureate of Door County, and then I, I get to take the title emeritus, you know, and run around with that for a while. Right. You know, it's been a great two years uh, being poet laureate. It's been a great two years since your editor and mine, Deborah Fitzgerald, asked me to write the Mike at the Movies column. I also have coming up on, on the 11th, a Saturday at the auditorium, Words on Fire performance with several other poets and a musician who has put some of those poems to music. So that should be an interesting little experimental performance as well.
0: Great. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me about the Oscar noms. I'm looking forward to checking out a couple movies this weekend. And I don't know if I'll tune into the awards, but uh, I I definitely am looking forward to seeing who who takes it home.
1: Yeah, I'll watch. I've always watched. It's one of those things like, eh, why am I watching this? Last year, of course, the ceremony was marred by Will Smith, who was my pick to win Best Actor, acting like a juvenile and slapping Chris Rock for a lame joke that he told. So, you know, the big surprise, I, I guess the big surprise going into this awards, not only with regard to the winners, but will be who is going to present the Best Actress Award Because usually that's the best actor winner from the previous year. So uh, there are all sorts of speculation as to who the Academy might get to present that award since Will Smith is persona non grata for 10 years.
0: Yeah, just get Chris Rock to do it.
1: Yeah, they should. I thought that would be great symmetry, to tell you the truth. And there is some talk about that as well that that he could be the guy to do it right i'll be interested to see if they go that route
0: who's hosting does, does the Oscars still have a host or have they moved away from jimmy kimmel
1: jimmy kimmel is going to be hosting again okay I think this is like maybe his fifth or sixth time that he's done it got it
0: all right well thank you so much mike and uh, i'll chat with you again soon okay thank you okay. andrew Thanks. have a good day you too